Is deception a good thing, a bad thing, or something neutral? We'll talk about that next on Principles and Policies. Hi, this is Chuck Michaelis. I'm the chairman of the Institute for Principled Policy. I almost said vice chairman. I used to be the vice chairman, and unfortunately the chairman died, which leaves the chairmanship to me. And unfortunately, my my partner and my brother, uh, Barry Sheets, uh, also passed away. So I'm sort of in sole possession of the Institute for Principled Policy. Well, it's an interesting question. Think about all the deception we see about us everywhere, all the time. If you're unaware that uh, there's always deception going on and always people trying to deceive you, then I'm sure that you've been cheated more than once. If you have such a Pollyanna-ish view of the world that you don't know that there's deception going on, I kind of feel sorry for you. I, I, I think you're, I'm probably talking to the empty set. For those of you who understand mathematics, I'm talking, there are, uh, virtually everybody knows there's deception all around us. My gosh, folks, all you have to do is pay attention to the news and you'll see deception everywhere. Watch a congressional hearing. All you have to do, first of all, very often the witnesses are doing their best to deceive the members of Congress who are attempting to practice some kind of oversight over them. Second of all, sometimes the members of Congress are attempting to deceive the American public that they are actually doing something that they aren't doing. Deception goes on all the time. What's another sign of that? Well, I don't necessarily mean a sign of that. I, I want to talk about, uh, for a bit, the Bible and deception and being deceived. Um, what's the first thing? Well, I mean, what happened in Genesis 3? Well, we know from Genesis 3... Uh, that uh, the, the uh, Eve claimed that she had been deceived by the serpent to eat the apple. Um, she uh, de- so deception comes in there. Uh, the quote unquote from Genesis three thirteen: the serpent deceived me and I ate. Uh, there there are many other lots and lots and lots of biblical exam- examples of deception. Uh, some of them good and some of them bad. This is why we have to be careful when we, if we say that deception is always bad. Is deception always bad? Well, there, there are uh, p- plenty of bad places. Genesis 29, when Jacob was supposed to receive Rachel for in, in return for his seven years of work, and who did he get? He got Leah. Did he want Leah? No. He wanted Rachel. So what did he do? He worked seven more years. So so who deceived him? Well, Laban did. Laban got seven more years of work and seven more years of Jacob's very good uh, handling of the uh, sheep and goats. So Jacob apparently was an early husbandman and knew how to do things. The interesting... 
thing about that is, yes, was deception used? Was it a good thing or a bad thing? From our perspective, it was a good thing. From uh, Jacob's perspective, it was bad because many of the 12 tribes came out from, most of the 12 tribes came from Leah. Only a handful came from Rachel. And then I think at least one came from a, a another wife after the two first women were deceased. I think he, he took on another a wife who bore him one of the children. Okay, uh, there's one that is God using man's deception to do his purposes. And could, could you necessarily say that from the Genesis 3? Well, maybe. I don't want to get too deep into that particular set of weeds. We'll talk about that some other day. But Deuteronomy is very clear that it says that we... Me, this is a, a command given to the people in the desert, but the Hebrews in the desert. Take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. So are people deceived to uh, turn against God and go and, and uh, do other things? Well, of course they are. It uh, happens all the time. Um, how many times have we, have we seen ourselves deceived in doing something that we fully intended not to do and we got caught up in the moment and did something anyway happens all the time satan is crafty and uh, we have to be fully prayed up and and have god's guardianship to keep very many of these things happening okay how about in joshua and think about the gibeonites uh in joshua who basically came to to joshua and the whole company of hebrews who were traveling with him and made it look like they that they were people from far far away they old musty bread uh water bottles almost empty the wine old um that kind of thing and eventually what happens is the 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 hebrews uncover this deception and ask them why did you deceive us and they said, we saw what you did to everybody else, and we didn't want to suffer that fate. Well, who can blame them for that? So, so do we sometimes deceive in order to protect ourselves? Well, of course we do. How many people out there have never found themselves going maybe 75 or 80 in a, in a 70 zone and see a policeman and what's the first thing you do you slow down in such a way that you don't step on the brakes you suddenly pull your foot off the accelerator and get down to the speed limit why do you do that you're trying to deceive the officer and you and it may work uh may not this is why people run from the police in an unwise fashion they're trying to be deceptive and get away and hide get to a place they can hide, and occasionally people are successful at that. On a lot of occasions, they become, well, let's say, you know, they'll cause an accident. People will be injured, people will be killed, because very often someone has a uh, car that they've stolen or have done something, or simply uh, trying to get away from the police for speeding or some other illegal U-turn or some other thing. Um, 
So is deception practiced all the time? Yes. Is it always bad? Well, I tend to think in terms of not necessarily. Here's why. Think about the Hebrew midwives. The Hebrew midwives are told directly by Pharaoh. Pharaoh gives them a direct order. If male sons are born, kill them. Uh, daughters can live. Sons need to be killed. The, uh, the two were Shifra and Pua. If, who knows if I'm pronouncing their, that correctly or not. But uh, when you serve as... This is uh, from... Exodus 1, the very beginning of the book, this is 1.15 and following. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the bar stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him, but if it's a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives did what? They feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So, what did they do? They practiced deception. So, the king of Egypt called them, called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? What did they do? The midwife said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. They lied flat out. The, the context is clear. They lied flat out to the Pharaoh. Now, what does this do to things like, uh, again, weeds I don't want to get too far into, but what does this do about our understanding of Romans 13, verses 1 through 7? If you listen to some modern-day people, we are never to deceive the government, ever, for any reason, or to disobey them. And some of this came to a head during the, of course, during the pandemic. But the fact is that the Hebrew midwives lied straight in the face of Pharaoh. Why? Well, what does it say in verse 20 and following? So God dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them family. So he rewarded them for their deception. When the Pharaoh commanded all of his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. So does God reward deception? Yeah, sometimes he does. And let's look at other examples. Look at Joshua 2, one, verses 1 and following. Rahab hides the spies. Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, and especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute, so hardly a paragon of virtue, whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight and search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the, women, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, 
true the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And Okay, so here's our first deception. She knew full well who they were. She knew completely who they were. And when the gate was about uh, to be closed at dark, the men went out. Did the men go out? No, she's hiding them in her home. The second deception. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly for you will overtake them. What's going on here? More deception and it's a ruse. It's a go chase these guys. So what are you going to do? You're going to you're going to essentially dilute your effort sending men out to chase these guys who who aren't running through the desert to get back what, to where they came from. So again, more deception uh, w- with a uh, a specific goal. She is going to protect these guys, period. But she had brought them up on the roof and hid them with the stalks of flask that she had laid in order on the roof. Okay, flax. What do you get from flax? You get linen. Um, the reason that, that the flax stalks were up there so she could, um, she could uh, prepare them. Um, and that's an interesting process, but she laid them on the roof and the men are probably underneath these stalks of flask, uh, flax. Uh, so the men pursued after them on the, on the way to the Jordan. So they rush out of the, (laughs) out of the walls of Jericho and go chasing these, these will of the wisps who aren't there. They're not in the desert. They're in on her, her roof. She, she knew what, what, that the jig was up. Uh, I know that the Lord has given you the land and the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. So what is she doing? She is using deception to advance her own self-interest. Is that a bad thing? Well, very often, as we've just given examples of, the answer is yes. But what can happen? God uses it for his own purpose. What was his purpose? His purpose was to uh, capture Jericho. Why? Because it was a block for the Hebrews uh, uh, to get into the promised land. Okay, so this woman basically wants to be seen favorably by the Hebrews who she knows are going to be victorious. So she has taken sides and has deceived her own people in order to, to get that done. So she lets these guys down by a rope off the wall. They they get away and go report. Okay, that's fine. So in the end, what happens to her? Well, Rahab becomes an honored person. This, this prostitute uh, becomes an honored person in the lineage of Jesus Christ. If it weren't for Rahab, they're, they're you know, protecting the spies through deception. There may not have been a victory at Jericho, or it would have been very different, but that's not what God had planned out. There are other places. Think about uh, in the book of Judges, chapter 4. We have a king who is fleeing from battle. He's, he's basically been defeated. He's fleeing from battle. He ends up in, in uh, the tent of, uh, his name is Sisera, and he ends up in the tent of Jael. Um, and so what did she do? She thought 
she she basically gave him deceived him into thinking that she was giving him shelter and and um sort of a protection if you will she she's giving him a refuge so uh she gave she opened a skin of goat milk and gave him a drink and covered him up cuz he was tired from running and uh it, so what did she do well uh, she st- <laughs> Uh, she, first of all, uh, he says to her, he, he attempts to practice his own, of uh, chapter four, verse 21. Uh, oh no, I'm sorry. Chapter four, verse, uh, 18 and following. And Jael came out to meet Cicero and said to him, turn aside, my Lord, turn aside to me. Don't be afraid. So she's practicing deception. So he turned aside to her into the tent and she covered him with a rug and and he said to her please give me a little water to drink for i'm thirsty she gave him milk and then in verse 20 he says this is cicero speaking stand at the opening of the tent and if any man comes and asks you is anyone here say no so please deceive for me please be deceptive for me but jail the wife of Haber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand and she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. So, do we have deception here? Obviously. Is it good deception or bad deception? Well, whose perspective? (laughs) From from Cicero's perspective, it's pretty bad. But then again, he asked her to deceive for him. Right? The deception, uh, he asked her to deceive her own people again in his favor. How'd that work out for him? Well, he ended up with a tent peg in his temple. Uh, so was it good, bad, or indifferent? Well, again, from God's perspective, it's a good thing. The enemies of Israel are defeated through the actions of one person. Now, obviously, the army had won the battle. But this evil personage had come in and was probably running for uh, reinforcements and that kind of thing. Um, And, you know, needed rest because he was tired of running. You know, he'd been in battle, and and then he ran away from the battle, and he comes to this tent and... She deceives him, and he tells her to deceive others. It doesn't work out. Okay, other example. How about when Saul um, goes to the witch at Endor? And he tells her that he wants to speak with Samuel. Samuel's long since died. But he relied on Samuel and he did practice deception against Samuel. Remember the whole thing about God said specifically do not take any of the spoil. Destroy it all. Kill all the people. Destroy all the spoil. All the gold. All the uh, the animals. Everything. Tents. The whole the all their possessions. So what did Saul do? 
Saul held back some of the animals, and I, I'm sure some of the gold. We, we also have an example where uh, uh, in uh, gold ended up in people's possession that was taken after it was told to be destroyed. Again, more deception. But um, So he deceives. Uh, Samuel comes and says, I hear the bleeding of the animals, the, the sheep, and the lowing of the cows. What is it you have done? And he said, well, I kept these animals out for a sacrifice. And what does Samuel say? What have you done? Um, today you have lost your kingdom. Um, and so Saul knows there's a problem. Saul knows he needs to talk to, um, he really, really needs to talk to to. Saul, or I'm sorry, to uh, Samuel. Well, Samuel's dead. How do you get do it? You you find a, a necromancer, if you will. A necromancer is someone who purports to speak to the dead. So he goes to this uh, this witch at Endor, and she takes the money and begins to do her, you know, her, her mumbo-jumbo. Because, let's face it, the people who claim to talk to the dead uh, can't do it. So what do we know happens? Well, you know, they, they use uh, tricks. Tricks and, and illusions and that kind of thing. So what happens? Well, she goes through this mumbo-jumbo that she goes through. And all of a sudden... Samuel says, who is disturbing my rest? And he recognizes, uh, Saul recognizes the voice and the witch at Endor, knowing full well she's fake, at least this is my interpretation, knowing full well that she's a fake, says, what have you done to me? She realizes that this is Samuel and she knows what the penalty for actually doing this necromancy and witchcraft is it's death. She realizes that she has, she has opened herself up for the death penalty and as has Saul and who deceived in this case, Saul did. He went to the, he went to the witch of Endor and didn't really necessarily lay it out what it was he was doing. Now, the witch of Endor, of course, was practicing her own deception, saying, yeah, I can do this, no problem. Then she was going to do the, you know, the knocking table or, you know, one of the tricks. Um, and all of a sudden, what did God do? God says, oh, I'm going to let you talk to him. But you're going to pay the price. And he did. Saul was killed in battle. Um, and a as a penalty a direct penalty for doing something that was absolutely forbidden to him. So do we have lots of deception in the Bible? Yeah, we do. Is it always negative? No, it's not. Some The Hebrew midwives, uh, uh, jail in the tent. We have other places where David uses deception all over the place in his, in running from uh, from Saul trying not to be murdered by Saul so we have deception everywhere in the bible 
Is it always bad? No. But it is a human thing to do. It is something that we do in our sin. Why is it necessary sometimes to do it in our sin? Because we are being protected by God, who does occasionally smile on our deception, but there is a criteria for having your deception smiled upon. Think about uh, in the book of Acts. Sometimes Paul hides, and sometimes he does things openly. Sometimes Peter hides, sometimes he does things openly. In any case, it becomes necessary for God's people to deceive because God's enemies are set to kill them, and God is not done with them yet, and he smiles on that deception. Now, am I saying go out and determine that you're being protected and you're free to deceive. You are not free to deceive. These are extraordinary circumstances. Deception is frowned upon, deeply frowned upon. I don't have to go very far in the Bible. For instance, go to Proverbs, Proverbs 25, uh, 6, 25 and 26. When he speaks graciously, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. What's the assembly? The assembly is actually the gathering of the elders to rule. A lot of people who are, who in, uh, are double-faced will say good things to your face, but talk about you behind your back. That's essentially what's going on here. Does that happen? It happens all the time. You and I know it, and unfortunately, in some cases, we've probably done it. How about 2 Peter 2, 2, and then 12 through 13? But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought who bought them, bringing upon themselves, that bought is an important word because uh, very often these people are uh, hirelings. They're, they're paid. Even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. So what's the penalty? We've already seen it. The penalty for deception is death, unless it's an extremely special circumstance. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. Does this sound like God smiles on all deception? Of course he doesn't. No. Uh, he did in some, again, extremely, extremely special circumstances. How about Proverbs 7, 27, 6? Faithful are the words of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. What does it mean? It means there are people who purport themselves to be your friend, but really are your enemy. And they will kiss you. So do, are the words of a friend always encouragement? No. Sometimes they're warning you. Sometimes they're telling you you're doing the wrong thing. Stop doing that. 
or if you do this, here's what will happen. That's what the situation we find ourselves very often on this program. Uh, we tell people what, what we think is going to happen. That thing happens. And then, and you know, people will tell us we're nuts and you're crazy. And I, I, I believe this person over here. And then it turns out that that person over there gave you the kisses of an enemy. Uh, thanks for doing my bidding. Now here, here are the facts. There are lots and lots and lots. How about Galatians 6, verses 6 through 8? Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh, again, in their own self-interest, will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So in other words, if you deceive for your own good you will pay the price how about first corinthians 6 9 through 10 or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of god do not be deceived Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, why do I end this very short? Because I could, I could talk the whole show about biblical verses and, and deception in the Bible. Um, and the consequences and the rewards, because there are such. Um, but that last passage in, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Now, I will say right up front, uh, I put my timestamp in here. I'm, I'm recording this on July 21st, 2023, for the July 22nd, 2023 show. Uh, what's that have to do with anything? Well, last week, you know, I talked about the stakes in the uh, special election in issue one. Well, now we're going to talk about the deception that's out there on issue one. Uh, issue one, you're probably getting the, the uh, flyers in the mail, the multicolor uh, 11 by eight and a half by 11 uh, um, printed sheets coming out to our friends at, you know, and then your address. Um, these people are not your friends. Um, th this is one of those cases where, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the deceivers are giving you a kiss. Uh, I'm looking at one here that I want to talk about now. Now, why would I end with that, that thing about, uh, from first Corinthians six, nine, 10, that's actually easy because the reason that the people are, campaigning against issue one let's be clear about what issue one will do despite all the hype that you hear despite all the nonsense despite all the the uh, overheated rhetoric what issue one will do is something that should have been done from the beginning it should have been in place all along the fact is that issue one will protect the the constitution of our state. And by the way, well, we'll get into this. 
but it will protect the constitution of the state against rapid changes that will end up being detrimental to the constitution. Now, what do I mean by that? It requires a 60% majority in any vote to amend the constitution by referendum. Now, why? Why why would we want to do that? Is it because, uh, like according to this flyer I'm looking at, I want to shred our rights? No, I don't want to shred our rights. I want to protect our rights. So why 60%? It's a supermajority. I talked about last week that people who uh, are attempting to emotionally manipulate or create a fatigue situation with, uh, for instance, I, I brought up the gambling measure. The gambling issue in Ohio was run over and over and over and over and over and over. There were at least three attempts to legalize gambling by referendum here, and at least two of them failed by around a million votes. In other words, by, by uh, significantly lost by a significant percentage, let's just say. And how eventually did it get done? Well, first of all, <laughs> it got sold the way everything is sold. Um, it, the profits were going to go to education. Didn't that happen? It's like the lottery. How we got the lottery through in Ohio in, Ohio in the 70s. I still uh, remember when the lottery first first uh, came out in the 70s. What was it going to do? It was going to all go to the schools. Did it all go to the schools? No, it went in the general fund, just like everybody predicted. And the same thing with gambling. Now, does it help the schools? I'm sure the schools get a piece of that that money. And there there are other ballot initiatives. The, remember the marijuana, the attempt at doing a marijuana initiative. And what, what did that lead to? Well, actually, what it led to was the legislature getting out ahead of it. And again, in a deceptive move, uh, they got ahead of it. They thought they understood the zeitgeist and thought that, they, that what was going to happen was they were going to turn out a lot of young people. And it was in a year, in a year when, even though in 2015, there was a, an attempt through referendum to legalize marijuana. And if you recall, it was the effort was led by a guy named Nick Lachey. Oscar Robertson, who was an NBA player, there are other people that were involved, but the idea was to get the franchises for marijuana cultivation. And that went down by a 65-35 margin. Uh, in an off year. And we'll explain why that's important as we go along in this flyer. But the fact is that the next year, Governor John Kasich signed a bill to legalize medical marijuana. Um, now, the other thing, the 2015 effort was to legalize recreational use. Well, the medical use, okay, let's not kid ourselves. 
for instance, where I live has four of these things, four of these dispensaries that were legalized in 2016. Why was it legalized? Why? The answer is that John Kasich and the Republicans, along with Dem a number of Democrats, not all Republicans, not all Democrats, but the, the, the partnership with, with a majority of uh, Republicans, decided that medical marijuana was fine. Why? To keep a, another initiative off the ballot. Why would you want that initiative off the ballot? In 2016, what what goes on in every four years? Every four years, we have a presidential election. We had one in 2016. What did they want to do? The Republicans were very much in favor of making sure that there was not a big ruckus to turn out extra voters, even though this turned out to be a non-starter anyway. But they didn't want to turn out extra voters who would tend to vote Democrat to come out and vote for another marijuana initiative. Therefore, they put this uh, medical marijuana thing on the books. And um, now you can basically go in and show them your hangnail and the, on the physician or the nurse practitioner, whoever can write the prescription. Uh, can write to you a prescription for your marijuana and you can go smoke it. Now, uh, am I saying that there aren't people who don't get medical benefit out of uh, marijuana use? Yeah, especially uh, people who have uh, chemotherapy. Chem uh, apparently marijuana, and I've known this for years, not from personal experience, but I've known for years that marijuana was useful uh, for uh, nausea from, from chemotherapy. And it has other, it seems to uh, also be useful in glaucoma, certain kinds of glaucoma. Um, there are other things I'm sure that marijuana uh, is useful for. And a lot of the people, uh, there, there has been some effort to remove the THC because THC is rarely one of the active ingredients in the medicinal part of marijuana. They removed it. Nobody wants it. <laughs> and nobody wants the uh, marijuana without the THC in it. What does that tell you? That's the, that's the intoxicant. Uh, THC, tetrahydrocannabinol. Um, and um, um, in fact, uh, uh, there are people who uh, specialize in trying to get around things um, I have seen signs for uh, vape shops that say we have Delta 8. Well, regular marijuana that, that is grown for uh, the purpose of, uh, of, of the, uh, the intoxicant. The intoxicant is Delta 9 tetrahydrocannabinol. Uh, they're selling a modified Delta 8 tetrahydrocannabinol. What do I know about it? Very little. I have no idea whether that's an active ingredient or not. But but let's the deception that was involved in 2016 was to keep hordes of people who wouldn't necessarily vote. Uh, who did they expect to get? They, uh, college students and those kinds of things who very often just don't vote. 
but they wanted, didn't want to get them motivated by this marijuana thing, so they, they passed this medicinal marijuana thing, which was good enough. Same thing with gambling. What really happened there was voter fatigue. How many times do you have to run a referendum before everybody gets tired? Now, again, let's go to about when, when that passed. It passed on an off-year election. And Lachey and company uh, tried to run this decriminalization or the uh, the failed uh, legislative or uh, the failed referendum proposal. It was called Issue 3 at the time in 2015. That's an off-year election. An off-year election. Why would you run things on an off-year election when you know it's not necessarily got the support of most of the people in the state. I mean, I, I'd love to give away a prize for this, but I think you can figure this out. They want to run a these elections on off years because on off years you can turn out the faithful, the people who are gung-ho for your proposal. And, okay, even in 2015, they did that, and the darn thing lost uh, 65 to 35. Okay, so now we know the vast majority of people in Ohio were not for recreational marijuana use, or they weren't in 2015. Who knows what's happened in the interim? That's, that's the problem, again, with not requiring a large percentage in favor of to change the Constitution, because this would have changed the Constitution. Okay? And what I just said was, eight years later, who knows what the the zeitgeist is? I don't know. Um, but um, someone with a lot more money than the groups who would be in opposition, and believe me, there was tons of money, and there is tons of money in other things. There was tons of money in marijuana... There was more money than you can imagine available for the gambling interest, and they still couldn't get it through on off-year elections over and over and over and over again. And finally, the voters just got fatigued and didn't come out. I said, I'm done. I've already said no three times. I'm not coming out again. People wouldn't go out especially to vote against it. Uh, Just threw their hands up. This is called voter fatigue. Um, it's it's the way it's done if you've got enough money. And believe me, the gambling interests have way more than enough money. Well, now they have even more because uh, I would say stupidly, the uh, um, the Ohio legislature again rubbing their hands together to get some of that good old campaign money from those great big giant gambling corporations and uh, Governor Mike DeWine. Um, signed the bill, uh, did sports booking, sports books in Ohio. Well, this is a road to disaster. Uh, again, I don't want to get in those weeds, but he, he avoided, uh, another probably referendum with, with the sports book thing and also got tons of money in, in his coffers. His, uh, not just Mike DeWine, but the Republicans in general. You think Larry Householder didn't look at that? amount of money Larry Householder and the and the corruptocrats that were surrounding him 
his his uh, chosen leaders in the House of Representatives didn't look at that and rub their hands together and say, look at all that gambling money we can get if we op- let them open the sports book. So now the sports book is wide open. And w- w- the consequences will not be known because it's only been open this year, if I'm correct. Um, so it was about deception. You got deceived. All you know is that uh, maybe you wanted to, to bet, be able to bet online on sports, right? Instead of having to go to the casino, you wanted to do online sports betting. Well, it's legal now. Now, what will that do to uh, um, people who have severe gambling problems? And there are a lot of those, lots and lots and lots of those. It's going to wreak havoc. Okay, again, I'm not. This is not an anti-gambling uh, program. Uh, it is, but it isn't. We're talking about issue one. Uh, okay, I'm looking at a flyer. That says issue one will permanently shred our rights, and it has a picture of a a scissors labeled issue one and it's cutting up the United States constitution folks. This is not a referendum to change the United States constitution. The United States constitution already requires a supermajority to alter it. Are our rights shredded because it takes a supermajority of states and a supermajority of states proposing the amendment in Congress to get passage, our rights are not shredded. Our rights are intact. What isn't, what, what is shredded is the idea that we could be emotionally manipulated into changing our Constitution in a, in a very short and easy referendum. Okay, we've had people that have been been using emotional arguments to try to to get rid of the Second Amendment for over a hundred years, and got really seriously in the last seventy. Okay, so the fact is that this picture is propagandistic. We're not talking about the United States Constitution. Now, if, if you showed <laughs> the Ohio Constitution being cut up with an issue one, you wouldn't recognize it because everybody's seen the We the People, Article 1, all that stuff, the parchment paper. Uh, Ohio doesn't have that. In fact, Ohio's Constitution is very difficult to read. The, Ohio, the, the U.S. Constitution is easy, uh, aside from a few words that... Uh, you probably won't recognize. You'll have to have a dictionary out in, in your lap to understand. Um, and believe me, that gets used deceptively as well. Uh, um, we saw people trying to run hearings in Congress over the emoluments clause because Trump owned a hotel that, that rented rooms to people who might be of Russian or of extraction. An absurdity on its face. Uh, Here's what it says further on the front page. Destroying majority rule, letting 40% of voters make decisions for the rest of us. No, that's not what's going on. The fact is that the people who are opposing issue one, who, by the way, are opposing issue one because they don't want to change the rules for an upcoming uh, possible 
ballot issue in November. They're trying to get this off year again, off with the off year. Again, remember why we do off years so you can get the faithful out. Uh, doing this off off year, uh, quote unquote, women's health protection amendment that will not protect women's health. Uh, it's not a health amendment at all. It enshrines uh, abortion into Ohio law on a permanent basis, and it also um, enshrines uh, the removal of parental consent not only for abortion but also for sex change operations. So in other words, if your child can be taken away and uh, under this amendment, and uh, a quote-unquote cabal of uh, scientists or psychiatrists, psychologists, behavioral scientists, quote-unquote, can say your child needs to have a sex change operation and you have nothing to say about it, but you do have to pay for it. That's what they want to enshrine in the Constitution. And they know that if the way they've been selling it is that it's a health issue. This is about keeping kids from committing suicide. It's about uh, allowing mothers to practice their right to abortion. There is no right to abortion, and there are more suicides on people who have transitioned than there are uh, among people who think they should transition. Um, are there people who kill themselves over, uh, over these things? Of course there are, um, sadly. Uh, there's gender dysphoria and parents who aren't really doing enough to help their children get over dysphoria. And that's not fair either to the parents who've tried everything they can. Uh, sometimes uh, people do these things. They have mental, they have severe mental issues, not always a, the fault of anyone. It's a brain anomaly or whatever. Uh but the, they do these things, but supposedly we're going to protect against that. Um, no, we are protecting the Constitution against, against manipulation through emotional appeals that have no basis in fact. And I, I, all you got to do is look at this, destroying majority rule, letting 40. Oh, no, it's, it's not destroying majority rule at all. It's making sure there's a supermajority. Uh, like in the marriage amendment, which, by the way, I worked on. Barry Sheets and I worked on that. Barry got me into the fight. Um, thank you, Barry. Um, and uh, thank the people who were involved in that, CCV, all the, all the other people who were involved, the Institute for Principled Policy, because we won that by 63%, which would have met this threshold, and we did it in, an, in a big election year. We did it on a presidential election year. We didn't have to hide behind a special election or a, an off year. Now, why is this being done on a special? This is, the, this is a big whining point for the, uh, the opponents of issue one. Uh, you're doing it on a special election. Something smells. This is, there's something fishy about this. There's nothing fishy about it. The fact is, that it's done on a special because we have to have the special in place so that, and, th and again, I will say this should have been done long ago. This should have been done by a legislative created referendum 
this is a loophole and a mistake in the Ohio Constitution that doesn't require a supermajority. We are one, Ohio is one of six states that does not require a supermajority for a constitutional amendment by referendum. One of six. There are a reason the other 44 states have done this. Because they understand that the Constitution is not something that should be amended on a whim or on a, a spirit of the age that may be out of step. Uh, very often people scratch their heads and say, you know, we really made a mistake doing this. And then it takes a lot of work to undo it. I, there are a lot of people that, that uh, uh, have seen the devastation that's come across on the gambling thing, on the gambling issue, that really, really wish that that had never happened. Well, that did not pass with 60% plus. It didn't just barely beat 50 on, the, I think, the fourth attempt. It barely beat 50. I think it got 51. 51 or 52%. Off year. Again, getting out the faithful. So let, let, let's walk away from this. That it destroys majority rule. It's, it, it's absurd. Now, here's the one that I love. Undermining the sacred principle of one person, one vote. How does requiring... A 60% supermajority undermine the sacred principle of one person, one vote. Think about this for a minute. This is fallacy detection 101. This is nonsense. Everybody who was able to vote before will be able to vote now. It's just that it requires 60% of them to accept this change. No one is, is losing their right to vote. No one. It's just that we're requiring a common sense majority to not be uh, emotionally manipulated into passing something that is being, frankly, deception is being used to, as I've said before, that's why we opened with a whole mess on deception. This is deceptive. The amendment uh, attempt behind it is deceptive. Because it's about women's health and children's health. No, it is not. There's no nothing healthy about uh, in an abortion when 50% at minimum, the minimum is 50% of the patients die. And that one of them is the baby. Sometimes the mother dies too. We, we already know that. We, we've had that problem in Ohio uh, where abortion clinics who have doctors who don't know what they're doing um, or who do know what they're doing, but they don't care over in Dayton, uh, to be, to be specific, women die, uh, having the abortion. You know, the idea was that we do abortions to keep women from dying. Just the opposite. Um, uh, women are dying in, in these supposedly safe and, and effective abortions. Um, now I love this. This is, this is too good. Quote, unquote, if you don't want to hand corrupt politicians and special interests more control, special interests, special interests, you mean those of us who want to maintain the health and safety of 
the unborn, and our children from the hands of groomers? Who are these corrupt politicians they're trying to keep control away from? The corrupt politicians are those who are, who are saying things like this, this kind of deception, to get done the underlying, the background um, amendment referent, by referendum that people are trying to pass with a 50% plus one margin, when it really, honestly should be and should have been all along. All along. 60% or better. Personally, I'm a 67% guy. Two-thirds. But 60% is a long way, long way towards that. Uh, I'm fine with that. 60% is fine. Um, now, if issue one passes, it will destroy the sacred principle of one person, one vote by allowing a small group of voters to make decisions for everyone else. No, it won't. If you really think that, that this is a bad idea, then oppose it on, on a realistic basis. Come out and tell me why you want to be able to manipulate people into voting 50% plus one. Do you not want to lord it over? The 49.9%? Is that not correct? Believe me, if 60% does it, the other 40% are going to have to scratch their heads and say, why? Right? The fact is that we all know that the maximum number of voters available will not vote in this election. Either the special in August, for which, ladies and gentlemen, I am asking you, I'm begging you, Please, 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 please go and vote August 8th. And if you know you're not going to be in, in town, go down and vote early or apply for an absentee ballot. I think it may be too late to apply for absentee. Just go down and vote in person um, at your board of elections. It's a piece of cake. Go in, take a lunch day, go down, vote. It's, it's one issue, folks. That's the only thing that's on the ballot is this one issue. Go vote yes. Vote yes, vote yes. Because you know that most people will not vote in this election. They know it too. They're trying to get the people who are for this quote-unquote women's health and women's and children's health amendment are going to be the ones that come out and vote no on this thing. They know that. And they know those people are motivated. We're trying to get you motivated to go out and stop it. Because if this gets entrenched into Ohio law, you're going to have to work double overtime to get that amendment repealed. It has happened before. Is it possible to to repeal? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's possible to repeal. It's been done. But it's difficult. It's extremely difficult. It requires a gargantuan effort to repeal that. Because the legislature can't just go in and say, oh, we're going to repeal, we're going to repeal that. It has to be done by a constitutional convention or it has to be done by a referendum. That's the only way to repeal it if it gets passed. So am I at the same time campaigning for issue one and against that? Uh, women's and children's health initiative. Yes, I am. So that being said, I'm I'm out of time. 
But don't be deceived by this stuff, this fancy stuff that comes in the mail. I just gave you a quick quick rundown on that. So come out on uh, August 8th or go in early. Vote yes on issue one. And then in November, if the thing makes the ballot, vote no on whatever the issue number is. And believe me, we'll keep you informed. All right. That being said, you know what I think. I want to know what you think. www.principledpolicy.com. That's principledpolicy.com. And join me again next week for another Principles and Policies.